Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. Hi, I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. When Reset first began, the show introduced a series called Closing the Gap, where we look at racial and socioeconomic gaps across Chicago and Illinois. On issues like income, infrastructure investment, and mental health, our aim isn't just to identify disparities, but to highlight folks working on solutions to close the gap. So far, we've taken on life expectancy, early childhood education, and access to reproductive health care. This week, we tackle one of the most pressing issues during the pandemic, hunger and food insecurity. Critical aid programs are about to expire with millions of families struggling to survive. Millions of our neighbors will struggle to put food on the table this holiday season, leaving food banks overwhelmed and volunteers working overtime. COVID-19 has wreaked havoc on the American economy. Each week, hundreds of thousands of Americans file for unemployment for the first time. And food pantries are seeing their longest lines in decades. The numbers are shocking. 50 million Americans are now what's termed food insecure, up from 35 million last year. But all across the Chicago region, people are stepping up to help. We'll hear from many of them throughout the week. And we're kicking things off with someone who says food insecurity is one of the leading health crises in America. Joining me now is University of Illinois professor Craig Gunderson. He's the creator of Map the Meal Gap, a data project that tracks food insecurity across the country. Professor Gunderson, welcome to Reset. Thank you very much. I'm very happy that you're covering all these important topics. I'm glad to be a part of this discussion. Of course. And and let's start with, with a definition. You know, food insecurity, it's more than just hunger, right? It's more complicated than that. Right. As when we talk about food insecurity, it means that at some point in the previous year, some a family did not have enough food due to economic constraints to feed their entire family. And it's a well-developed measure that's been in existence since the mid-90s. Um, it's based on 18 questions on something called the core food security module. And if a person answers the household more than three uh, of, of those questions affirmatively, then they're considered to be food and ins- food insecure. Um, it's become the leading indicator of economic well-being in the United States today. So, as you've just outlined, it's not a new problem. Uh, food insecurity has been a serious issue, not just across the country, but locally, even before the pandemic. Can you just give us a sense, Professor, of where we were and where we are now? Right. So a couple key things I want to emphasize about this, uh, three key things. The first thing is, is that food insecurity was a huge problem before COVID. It's going to be a big problem post-COVID. So I'm really happy that people are drawing attention to this important issue during, um, during COVID. But I think, again, it's big problem before, big problem after. The second thing I wanted to emphasize is what's going on in Chicago is that, as you mentioned at the outset of all of this, is there's huge disparities within Cook County in terms of economic well-being over many different dimensions. And one thing that we've done is we did this analysis pre-COVID, and I can send along some figures for this if you're interested. But what we showed was just the amazing disparity between zip codes that are over 50% black versus zip codes that are not 50% black. What you see is that every single 
zip code in Chicago with a food insecurity rate 10 percentage points higher than the average, they're all majority black zip codes. In contrast, there's not a single majority black zip code with food insecurity rates below the average in Chicago. So pre-COVID, there's these huge disparities in food insecurity across uh, Chicago by race. And post-COVID, it's the same. And during COVID, it's the same. Go ahead and, and unpack that a bit more for us, because, I mean, there are specific areas, as you're saying, that are getting hit harder than others. Right. And, and pockets, not only pockets in neighborhoods within the state and within the city, but people, demographics. Right. So this is something I think that we all need to be really cognizant of during COVID, is that, again, I, I don't want to enter in the quagmire that is, you know, whether lockdowns are good or bad, the usefulness of them or anything. But I think what we need to recognize is that even if when we do impose lockdowns and things like this, is who is hurt most by this? Okay, for example, persons like yourself or persons like me is, you know, we can do our jobs from a distance. And so it doesn't really affect us that much. Um, however, is that for vulnerable households, i.e. those who are most likely to be food insecure, is they're hurt most by this because they work in jobs where you have to be present. In other words, you have to be at a restaurant doing the dishes there. You can't do this from, from afar. Or if you're a janitor and your whole office buildings are shut down, that's not something you can do from afar. You have to be there. So in terms of a lot of the impacts of COVID is it's mainly on those who are most vulnerable in our society. How does what we're seeing here compare to trends that we're seeing nationally? So overall, I mean, to some extent, is Illinois and Chicago in particular looks a lot like the rest of the country insofar as, you know, you have increases in unemployment. However, they weren't as bad as we had originally anticipated. Um, so that's so that's the good news. The bad news is in Illinois and elsewhere is it's those who are most vulnerable who are really experiencing unemployment. You, you haven't unemployment rates are basically back to where they were pre-COVID in terms of those with college degrees and who can work remotely. It continues to be very high unemployment rates amongst those who are most vulnerable, including like, including like black persons, including, um, for example, those without a high school degree. So those groups are at most risk. Now, in terms of the geography of all of this is, like I said, Illinois is doing similar to the rest of the country. But if you look at areas like Las Vegas or Atlantic City or you know Orlando, Florida, is those are areas with sharp spikes in terms of their food insecurity rates and un- because the unemployment rates have risen so much. But in the, in the Chicago area and other places around the state, is most people are being hurt are, as you might imagine, those in the service sector. Now, I want to drive this point home because you brought this up before COVID, right? You said right. food insecurity was a big problem pre and it'll be right. a big problem post COVID. I know a lot of folks think that it's just because of the pandemic that we're seeing right. this trend. So just really drive home for us, Professor, what extent COVID is to blame for the current predicament and and what other drivers, what other factors are driving this trend? So, I mean, if we think about COVID, I mean, the, as, as you mentioned, the pre-COVID and post-COVID is certain segments of our population are at greater risk of being food insecure than other segments of our population. One thing I always emphasize is that poverty does not equal food insecurity and food insecurity does not equal poverty. 70% of poor households are food secure. In other words, they have enough food for their family. However, 15% of non-poor families are food insecure. So in talking about this issue, we could have a long discussion about the determinants of this. But w- one of the key determinants, in which is, uh, is disability status. 
is those with disabilities are much more likely to be food insecure than those without disabilities. And so this is a common recurring theme that is occurring that is pre-COVID unless we do something that's post-COVID. Um, but one of the things is that during COVID, the main things that are driving this is, again, is higher unemployment rates amongst those who are most vulnerable. Again, is that those who are bearing the brunt of COVID is who, on average, are not at really any risk of any complications from COVID, but are out of work because of um, the uh, you know, the restrictions and everything that are, that are imposed due to COVID. Again, right. I'm not saying that these restrictions were a good thing or a bad thing. I'm just saying is that those who are most negatively impacted, those by these are most vulnerable. Now, as someone who has covered food insecurity for, for quite some time, I looked at this, you know, in Washington before transitioning here to, to Chicago. I know that it's it's hard to know exactly how many people experience food insecurity, right? Like that's the, these figures are largely estimates. Can you can you talk about why it's so difficult to zero in on that? Well, on the one hand, is it's really difficult to try to figure out, you know, who is uh, who is who is food insecure, as you as you note, is that, you know, we don't see in the United States, you know, that persons are suffering, you know, from severe malnutrition. Thank thank God that we're not suffering from a lot of these issues, of severe malnutrition. So a lot of food insecurity would be invisible. We don't see people who are food insecure. There are neighbors, there are oftentimes family members and things like this who are suffering from this. Well, that's the one hand, it's oftentimes invisible. However, is that the good news is that we have this measure, this 18 item scale that's widely used both in nationally representative surveys, but also in more local uh, level surveys. And this is what's really helped us out a lot in terms of identifying those who are most risk at, most at risk of food insecurity. And it really paints a very different picture than if we just look at poverty or something like that. So this is why I say it's become the leading indicator of economic well-being in the United States. That's Craig Gunderson, a professor of agriculture and economics at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. And we're talking about food insecurity in Illinois. It's a problem that more and more people are dealing with during the pandemic and the economic downturn. It's part of our series, Closing the Gap, where we examine racial and socioeconomic disparities in our region and explore solutions. You can tune in tomorrow, Wednesday and Thursday at 1120 for more. According to the Map the Meal Gap data, it would take about 285 million additional dollars to meet the food needs of those facing food insecurity in Cook County. Now, that's a really staggering amount of money. So why aren't current programs and safety nets like SNAP benefits, for instance, why aren't they enough? So let me first talk a little bit about how great SNAP is for many of your listeners is SNAP used to be the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, formerly known as the Food Stamp Program, oftentimes colloquially referred to as LINK in Illinois. Um, So this is far and away the most successful government program we have. I've yet to see another government program that sets out to, its main goal is to alleviate food insecurity and it achieves that. You look at the, uh, what the food insecurity rates would be without SNAP in the United States, is to put it bluntly, is if we if we got rid of SNAP tomorrow, is food insecurity rates would be higher than the, what they are during COVID. So in other words, I just want to point out the magnitude of really how important this program is. Now that said, is as you noted, is in Chicago alone, all these missing missing meals where people are still in great need. I would propose two things that would help uh, alleviate this meal gap. Is the first is to expand SNAP benefits. 
So for a lot of SNAP recipients, it just isn't enough money for them, to, enough benefits for them. So the first thing I would do is others and myself have been proposing, you know, what the, the impact of um, increasing SNAP benefits would be on food insecurity in our country. So that's the first thing I would propose. This is especially important in cities like Chicago, where you have really high housing costs. So to increase SNAP benefits is really important. The second thing that I think that I would propose is, as I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of non-poor people who are food insecure in our country. By expanding the threshold, I mean, by increasing the threshold for receiving SNAP benefits, it would bring more vulnerable people into the program, which would then help alleviate food insecurity as well. The reason I mention this is solving food insecurity in our country is really easy. We have this great tool in SNAP, and by expanding SNAP, is we can alleviate food insecurity to a really high, to, to a large extent. And so by using that, in addition to all of our great uh, work being done by Feeding America and network of food banks, including in Chicago, the Greater Chicago Food Depository, those groups can also help in some, fill in some of these gaps. But mm-hmm. by expanding SNAP is we can most effectively reduce food insecurity in the United States. I know in other parts of the country, many organizations that are, are doing this work, right, you know, they're working to bridge the hunger gap, they sometimes have trouble securing funding uh, or resources that they need to actually fight this fight and, and fight hunger. You know, for instance, I'm thinking of, of local government restrictions that I've seen on the application process. Can you talk about what that looks like in Chicago and in Illinois? Are, are some of those same barriers being faced here? Right. So, I mean, I, um, if I understand your question correctly, you're talking about some of the barriers that people face in terms of getting SNAP. And this is a serious issue is to enroll in SNAP is it takes there's a lot of hurdles to enrolling in SNAP. You have to be pretty uh, good at keeping records on on a whole variety of different things. The application process is very difficult. So I think that if we made the application process easier, that would help out a lot mm-hmm. in Addition is that what we want to do is once people are on SNAP and if they are still eligible, you want to make the recertification process as easy as possible for them. So I would move, make both those things to bring people onto the program more easily. Um, the good news is that during the uh, during the pandemic is that the administration, the, the, the Trump administration and combination with the USDA and Congress did make it easier and more streamlined to get on the program. So that was good news. I guess what I would say is let's keep it more streamlined and easy to get on the program even after COVID. And I'm also talking about organizations, like I've seen instances, you know, uh, where organizations that are doing the work, so, you know, the the food pantries, et cetera, like needing to apply for government funding to be able to distribute the help uh, to to folks in need, having issues with barriers there with with restrictions on, on applying. In some cases, is it can be difficult to procure food because of different rules on what can be donated and things and things like this. In other cases, is government funding through programs like TFAP um, is uh, can be restricted. The good news is that during this pandemic, is that the amount of food being donated to food banks and there are subsequently the pantries that you talked about has been really increasing. Americans really have stepped up to give more money to our amazing network of food banks across the United States. So, you know, as we said, the series is all about solutions, Professor. So, again, with all the research that you've done, everything that you've seen, the policy recommendations that you've made, tell us again, what is the solution here? And where should local governments and, and advocates, where should they start? 
I would say they should start and finish at the same place is that SNAP is that, again, like I said before, this program is again and again and again has proved itself to be incredibly successful. So what I would do is to alleviate food insecure in the United States is, A, I would encourage advocates to push for higher SNAP benefits. B, I would encourage advocates to increase the eligibility threshold so more people get on the program. And C, I would encourage advocates and local governments to make this um, program as easy as possible for people to enroll in and to stay on. I'm a simple man, but so in other words, maybe I've reduced too much to SNAP, but it really is an incredibly successful government program that, that needs to be at the forefront of all efforts to alleviate food insecurity. That's Craig Gunderson from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Professor Gunderson, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Thank you. This has been a pleasure talking with you, and I really appreciate your interest in this topic. And that's today's Reset and part one of our series, Closing the Gap, Food Insecurity. Tune in tomorrow for part two, when we'll hear directly from the folks who deal with food insecurity and work to fight it on a daily basis. To hear more conversations like this around the important stories in Chicago and beyond, hit the subscribe button on your podcast app. You'll get a fresh reset in your feed Monday through Friday, and even some bonus podcasts on the weekend. And take one minute to give us a rating. It really helps other people find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening, and we'll meet again tomorrow. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts.